0: All right. Well, last week we left Joseph off in a really tough spot. If you remember, his brothers grabbed him, ripped his cloak off, threw him into a pit, and they—I don't know what they were planning to do after that. But all of a sudden, they were eating lunch. They looked up, saw this caravan of camels coming from Midian, where they were going to be selling stuff in Egypt, and they thought, "Hey, let's make some money off our brother," and they sold him into slavery. So Joseph was on his way, walking all the way to Egypt all by himself, being ripped away from the land that he was comfortable with, the land he loved, being ripped away from his family. I mean, it was, it was an absolutely horrific time for Joseph. His heart must have been breaking. But as we talked about last week, while the enemy might have tried to use this in Joseph's life to destroy him and to tear him apart, we know that God can and he will use these things for good. And that's such a powerful promise that every single one of us need to learn, too. I don't care how evil or how messed up or how difficult of a life you've experienced, God can use that messed up stuff and use it for good in your life. And we're going to see that God's going to do that in Joseph's life. All right, I've got a lot, of co- lot to cover today, so I'm not going to be reading a lot. I'm going to be telling the story. We'll talk about a few passages, but uh, rather than go to Joseph, I want to back up and wrap up the story with Joseph's brother because there's a backstory that needs to be told there. When Joseph got sold off, what did his brother still have? Do you remember? A coat. Yeah, they had his cloak, okay? His coat of many colors. And so they realized they're going to have to tell dad a story. And so what they did is they took a goat, they killed the goat, dumped all this blood all over the coat, and they took it back to his dad, Jacob, and they said, hey, dad, we found this coat laying out in the middle of the desert, and uh, we just want you to kind of look at it and tell us, do you think it belongs to Joseph or not? What do you think? And when Jacob saw the coat filled with blood, he just began to weep and weep and weep because he knew that his son had somehow been killed by a wild beast of some sort, and he just cried. And people tried to comfort him and let him know, oh, we're so sorry, and he, he refused to be comforted, and he says, I'm going to take this grief to my grave. And you know what? He was probably blaming himself. He's the one who sent Joseph alone to go talk to his brothers, and he's probably thinking, man, it's my fault. I should have sent someone to go with him. You know, and he was just beating himself up, and he thinks that his son Joseph is dead. So that wraps up that part of the story. Let's pick up Joseph. Joseph is on his way to Egypt in this, you know, with all these slave traders and whatnot. Shows up at Egypt, and he gets sold as a slave to a guy by the name of Potiphar. It's kind of a weird name, but Potiphar, it says in Scripture that he was the captain of the guard. Now, that word captain in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It means chief, and that word guard in the Hebrew is also an interesting word. And it's actually translated in different Bibles as a different thing. Some Bibles will say that he was the chief executioner, some say that he was the captain of the slaughtermen. And and essentially what Bible scholars are thinking is that he was the guy who took care of all the king's prisoners. And so when one of the prisoners needed to be put to death, guess whose job it was? The chief executioner. And they think that was Potiphar. So, kids, I want you to imagine this. Imagine that your master, some guy buys you, you're his slave, and he's the chief executioner. He's the one who chops people's head off when they're bad. Imagine working for that guy. Talk about walking on eggshells. I mean, if you're going to mow his lawn, it better be perfect. Because if he's mad, what's he going to do? Don't like the way you mowed the lawn. Chop your head off. I don't like the way my supper tastes. Chop your head off. You didn't dust here. Chop your head off. I mean, that's what it had have been like. So it would have been terrifying for poor Joseph to get into that. So imagine being sold into slavery, brought to a brand new land, a brand new language group, a brand new culture, and no longer are you the favorite child. You're a slave who probably happens to be at the bottom of the totem pole. You're a nobody. So talk about a brand new life for Joseph. If there was ever a time where Joseph might have felt alone, it would have been at this moment in his life. Because this is brand new territory for Joseph. He had to have been so much out of his comfort zone, it wasn't even funny. But I tell you, when you read the story of Joseph, there's a little phrase that's mentioned several times often in his story. And it's a very special phrase. And let me tell you, it's a phrase that makes all the difference in the world in Joseph's life. And I want, I want to read this to you. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now notice what it says there. It says, The Lord was what? With, with Joseph. He was with him. And like I said last week, Joseph may have lost everything. He had everything ripped away from him. Yet there was one thing that would not and could not be taken away from him, and that was the Lord. The Lord was with him. And I'll tell you, that made all the difference in Joseph's life. Guys, we need to learn from that. I don't care what situation you're in. I don't care where you are on this earth. If you are a child of God, your heavenly Father will not leave you nor forsake you. And that's a promise you can cling to. Amen? It's the truth. You know, I, I heard a story, just to prove this point, I heard a story of a guy who was a teacher at Bible school in Waukesha, and it was in the 70s, and he was a World War II vet. And he, during, while fighting the war, he got captured by the Japanese, and he was taken into a prison camp there. And the conditions were terrible. I mean, they had no food, they were st- starving, they were just like skeletons, and just conditions were terrible. And he was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he was praying and asking God to provide for his men, the men that were with him. And would you know it, not just once, but several times, a raven would come flying into the camp and drop off pieces of meat for them to eat, because they had no food. Now, the thing that he mentions in that is that what he loves so much is here he's in the middle of a Japanese camp, war camp and the Lord was with them. There is no place you can go on this earth to get away from God's presence. He is with you all the time. Amen? Amen. It's a powerful truth that we need to keep in mind. But I have to say something. It's a promise, but something about God's promises is that you need to believe them, and you need to live them out. Because you can either believe God's promises and live them out, which proves your faith, or you can choose to doubt them and live out your doubt, which will prove your lack of faith. But you have that choice, and each choice is going to result in a different consequence, a different outcome. But let me tell you, Joseph, when it came to him, he clung to the promise that God was with him. And that no matter where he was, God was never going to leave him. And he lived out that unseen reality in, the, in his life. And this reality was a huge deal because he's in Egypt, they worship all sorts of different foreign gods. They don't recognize Joseph's God. But Joseph, he was all alone living with the presence of God. And like we said last week, God, we don't know that God is all we need until God is all we have. Exactly. So even though Joseph was probably at the bottom of the totem pole as far as slaves because he was just purchased, God caused him to prosper. Everything that Joseph would do, God brought favor to it. And you know, Potiphar took notice. And I want you to notice something in that last verse I read. Where did Joseph live? In the master's house. Isn't that crazy? Where do slaves usually live? In the backyard, in the slaves' quarters, in these dumpy little homes on the property. They, n- they never live in the master's home. And yet God saw to it that Joseph was going to live in the master's house, in the Egyptian's house. And I think that's cool how God worked that out. Now, I want you to see something here. It says this, "...his master recognized that God was with him, saw that God was working for good in everything he did, and he became very fond of Joseph and made him his personal aide." He put him in charge of all of his personal affairs, turning how much over to him? Everything. Everything. I mean, God was pouring out huge favor upon Joseph. Everything Joseph was touching was turning into gold. I mean, it was amazing. And the master realized this, that that God was with one of his slaves, and being a smart leader, he simply said, okay, Joseph, listen, I can see that the Lord is with you, and he's bringing favor in all that you do, so I'm going to give you the reins to everything. And suddenly Joseph finds himself in charge of all of Potiphar's household, in charge of everything. And something I want to point out here, check out this next verse. From that moment on, God blessed the home of the Egyptian all because of Joseph. I mean the blessing of God spread over everything he owned at home and the fields and all Potiphar had to concern himself was eating 3 meals a day. All Potiphar had to worry about was what he was going to eat that day. The rest was up to Joseph. Now, I want you to look closely at that verse. And tell me, who was God blessing in this verse? Who's being blessed? Look closely. Potiphar and the Egyptians' household, right? Who's being blessed? The entire household. Now, tell me this. Because of whom? Because of Joseph. All people. Because of Joseph, this pagan family, this Egyptian family, is being blessed. Now, there's something I think we can pull from that. As children of God, upon whom God's favor rests, we should be bringing the blessing of the kingdom of God into every circle of influence that we live. Think about that. Do you see what I'm saying? We are children of God. Guys, think about that title. We're sons and daughters of the King, and our God and King is with us everywhere we go. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's given us His Holy Spirit that dwells in us, and the fact that we belong to His family means that God's favor rests on us. Now, that favor isn't just for us. It's going to have ripple effects into every realm of influence we have, and when we live with a constant reality that God is with us, that He never leaves us, and we interact with Him and talk with Him just like we learned in the prayer series, our obedience to what He tells us to do is going to have great impact on those around us, and blessing is going to be poured out not only on us, but on everybody around us. It's going to have ripple effects. You know, kids, you know when you take a rock and you throw it into a pond, what happens? Big splash, right? But after that splash, what happens in the pond? Yep, there's ripple effects, okay? Okay. That ripple effect is what's going to happen when God blesses you. It's going to affect everybody around you. Now, I'm going to say this as well. If you choose to ignore God's presence, and you choose to just live out however you want to, do what you want, say what you want, act how you want, that's also going to produce ripple effects, but it isn't going to be a blessing. It's going to create consequences for not only you, but the people around you. But Joseph is living with an awareness of God being with him in all he does. And this blessing is being poured out. Joseph's connection to God is bringing favor on everyone, everything and everyone that he's around. And Potiphar is receiving that blessing too. God is all he has, and God is all he needs. Now, it would seem at this moment that Joseph's life is good. I mean, it's it's looking good, It's, it's going up. I mean he's living in his master's house, he's running everything, he's a high-valued slave um, to his master, things are improving his life, but something is gonna happen that's gonna mess everything up. Now, just a little back up for a second. How long do you think Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's household? What do you guess? Uh, sixteen years. Sixteen years? Anybody else? Nobody's everybody's scared to try? Eight? Okay. Yeah, we, we don't really know, but if we do the math, Joseph became Pharaoh at 30. He was in prison for at least two years, possibly three. He became a slave at 17. So it was about 10 years that he was a slave in Potiphar's house. Okay, now I don't know about you, but 10 years is a long time. And during those 10 years, he's growing up. He's maturing. He's learning more and more how to run things as a leader and how to work with people and all things that he's going to use in the future, that, that God is going to use in his life in the future. So, this is good. Things are looking up, but it's all about the change. Now, a little interesting detail that the Bible tells us about Joseph it's kind of funny, but it says this Joseph was a good looking dude. He was a GQ stud, it says that he was well built and muscular. And at some point, Potiphar's wife starts to take notice of this slave in her household. And she starts having some bad thoughts running through her mind. She wants Joseph to be her boyfriend. And yet here she is, a married woman. She's Potiphar's wife, and yet she wants Joseph to be her boyfriend. And so she tries to get Joseph to like her. And she keeps coming on to him and coming on to him and and flirting with him and flirting with him. But Joseph, he knows better. And he's not having any of it. He has nothing to do with it. And this is what Joseph says. I want you to pay attention to this. He goes, look. He's talking to her. He says, look, with me here, my master doesn't give a second thought to anything that goes on here. He's put me in charge of everything he owns. And he treats me as an equal. The only thing he hasn't turned over to me is you. You are his wife. Now, how could I violate that trust and sin against God? Talk about an amazing response. That is no small thing. Now, I know some people think that, well, the reason Joseph said those things is because Potiphar's, Potiphar is the chief executioner. He's the slaughterman. And there's no way and anybody would mess with his wife. He's going to chop your head off. And so maybe that's why he did it. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case at all. I personally think that Joseph was actually good friends with Potiphar. I think that Potiphar trusted Joseph so much, he didn't even consider him to be like a slave. It says that he treated him like an equal. Everything Potiphar owned was basically turned over to Joseph to take care of. Guys, that kind of trust doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come with some sort of friendship. So for Joseph to violate that trust and that friendship was absolutely crazy to him. He would not do that. But you know what? That wasn't the only thing that kept Joseph from doing what Potiphar's wife wanted him to do. What you're seeing here is a continuation of how Joseph lives his life. He lives it with an awareness of God's presence with him at all times. Yeah, God is invisible. He could not see him, but he was there with him. And Joseph is living out that awareness so yeah, it would violate Potiphar's trust, but ultimately he'd be sinning against God, and Joseph wanted nothing to do with that. And you know, there's something I think we can learn from that. I was thinking about this this week. But listen to this truth: I think that if we learn to acknowledge God's presence with us at all times, we wouldn't sin, or at least we wouldn't sin as much as we do. Here's an analogy. Those of you kids who play video games, just pretend that you have an Xbox, okay? And your mom and dad, they get ticked off at you, and they say, you can't play Xbox for this entire week, okay? It's off limits. No, no. Okay? Now, the Xbox is set up in the living room, okay? And mom and dad are home all day long. It's a Wednesday. You haven't played video games for four days. You're like, oh, my land, i got to play video games. I missed this thing. And so your mom and dad are just keep walking through the living room, and you want to play, but they're there. Now, what keeps you from playing video games with your mom and dad there? They're watching you. They see you. There's no way you're going to pick up that little controller. But let's say that mom and dad decide to go shopping for six or eight hours. And they get in the car. They drive off. And you're all alone in the living room. And the Xbox is going, play me, play me, play me. What are you tempted to do? Play the Xbox, right? Now, why would you even think of doing that? Because why? Why? Because mom and dad aren't home, and nobody sees me. That's what you'd be tempted to do. Well, guess what, guys? God is with us all the time. He never leaves us. So you know what that means? That means if we're choosing to sin against him, we're doing it right in front of his face. Think of how horrible that is. It's a little bit, you parents, remember when your kids were little? And you're teaching them not to touch things. Remember that? You're like, no, 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 Billy. Do not touch. This is a no-no. Don't touch. What did your kids usually do? (laughs) What are you going to do about it? You know, they'd kind of wag their little face at you. And it was like they'd defy you right to your face. Well, guys, we do the same to God. The problem is we don't pay attention to the fact that God is with us. We just don't think that. We, we just pay attention to the physical world and we think we're all alone. No one can see us. We think we're getting away with it. And that is not true. God is with us. But if we learn to always practice his presence, we just wouldn't do what we so often do. We'd walk in obedience so much more, just like Joseph is doing right now. Well, the Bible tells us that Potiphar's wife just keeps pestering and pestering him and and eventually, one day, Joseph is walking in the house to get about his duties, and nobody else is around. All the slaves are gone. And Potiphar's wife, he walks by her bedroom. She grabs his cloak and tries to pull him into his bedroom. And when she grabs him, um, you know, he tries to get away. Now tell me, kids, if you're wearing a jacket, and somebody grabs hold of your jacket, and you're trying to get away, what would you do? Yeah, let them pull the jacket off, and you run. Smart. That's what Joseph does. He like, leaves his cloak and he books it out of the house. It's really smart. He got away from the whole situation. Well, that seems all fine and dandy. But guess what Potiphar's wife does? Let me show you. When she realized that he had left his coat in her hand and run outside, she called out to her servants, Look, this Hebrew slave shows up. And before you know it, he's trying to seduce us. He tried to come on to me, but I yelled as loud as I could. And with all my yelling and screaming, he left his coat beside me and ran outside. And Joseph is seeing all this go down. And i got to say, oh boy, it does not look good for Joseph. I mean, here she's holding Joseph's coat, and she's telling this big story. And i got to say, it sounds pretty believable. And poor, I mean, have you ever thought about this? Poor Joseph. His cloak keeps getting him into trouble. Coat of many colors, now this cloak, I mean, he just needs to go cloakless, just wear sleeveless shirts. Well, let's see what happens. She kept his coat right there until his master came home. She told him the same story. She said, this Hebrew slave, the one that you brought to us, came after me, tried to use me for his plaything. When I yelled and screamed, he left his coat with me and ran outside. Now, I can imagine what that day went like for Joseph Joseph. Because she's going to tell the master when the master comes home at night. And imagine that entire day, he was just dreading the end of the day. It's a little bit like, you guys remember when you were kids, and you did something naughty against mom, and mom and mom tries to discipline you, but you like ran away, or something goes on, you, she doesn't give you the, the discipline she wanted to give you. And so what does she say? You wait until dad gets home. Okay? And then you're going to get it. It's not going to be pretty. So what's the rest of the day like for you? Miserable. Because you know dad's coming back. And so you're, you're like dreading it. You hardly want to eat because you're like, oh boy, dad's going to lay into me. I'm going to be in trouble. And, and then 5 o'clock rolls around and the dread just gets worse. And you see the car pull and you're like, oh my word. And the door slams and the door opens. And dad's like, hey everybody, I'm home. What is mom's first thing out of her mouth? You need to go talk to Billy he did the, 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 whatever, and you go to the room. Now, sometimes my mom would forget. Did your mom ever forget sometimes? That was awesome. Still ruined your day, though. But then you'd have to deal with it. Well, that's what Joseph is going through this entire day. He's going, oh, my word, this is going to be miserable. I mean, this guy is his master. This guy is the chief executioner. And Joseph, no matter how gifted or how amazing of a slave he is, he's still just a slave. Slaves don't have rights. No matter how innocent he is, he's not going to be able to defend himself. So he knows he's in trouble. And sure enough, when a master heard his wife's story, telling him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious. Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. I mean, his master was furious. He was ticked. I mean, if this was true, this was an outrage. And so he had to do something big to punish Joseph. Now, I want to stop here for a second. My personal opinion, down deep inside, it tells me I don't think Potiphar was fully convinced that Joseph did this. Anybody want to guess why I think that? Because he didn't kill him, exactly. He threw him where? In prison. Now, I may be wrong, but slaves were property. And the execution of a slave back then would be nothing more than getting rid of a piece of property. And as chief executioner, you would think that Potiphar would be so mad that he would just have him killed. But it seems to me there was a friendship there. And there was some sort of trust there. And it seems to me that there might have been something between them that caused Potiphar to question whether this was really true or not. But he had to do something. Because all the other household slaves believed Joseph did it because she had the cloak. And why in the world would she be holding his coat if it wasn't true? So he had him thrown into prison instead of being killed. Like I said, I think that's just my, that, I mean, that is just my opinion. The Bible doesn't tell us. But regardless for Joseph, this is terrible. Here Joseph did the right thing. He did the right thing, the honorable thing. He honored Potiphar's wife. And yet here he is being punished for it, thrown into prison for it. And you know, sometimes that happens, doesn't it? You know, sometimes in your life you will do the right thing and you still get punished. Sometimes we suffer for doing the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing doesn't end up well for us. And you know what? That's just the way it goes in this world. Jesus said this, he goes, in this world you will have what? Trouble. And you better believe it, in this evil world you're going to have trouble. Doing the right thing doesn't always end up turning out great in this evil world. But you know what? I want you to know something, it's okay. Because Jesus also said this, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did Jesus say? If you're persecuted for righteousness, you are what? Look at the verse. You are blessed. You are blessed. Now, I know that seems weird, but Jesus is saying, listen, if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Because the kingdom of God belongs to you. The apostle Peter even says this. He goes, listen, what counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve, but if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts for God. Listen, when you suffer because it's your fault, you deserve it. There's no value in that. But when you suffer for doing the right thing, there's great honor in the eyes of God. Suffering for the sake of righteousness is an honorable thing in the eyes of God. And you know what? There may be some here today who you're experiencing exactly that. You did the right thing at your job and now you're paying consequences for it. You stood up when somebody was being bullied and now you're being paying the consequences, whatever it might be. I want you to know it's okay. If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And that's honorable in the eyes of God. Sometimes it doesn't end well when we do the right thing. But God is going to bless us someday and somehow because of it. Well, Whitestone, third service, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave Joseph in prison this whole week. We're going to pick up next week right here. just want you to know the suffering in Joseph's life is not over. He still has to go through a few more years of suffering. And you know what? The promise is, is that God's going to use it. He's going to use this suffering to continue to train and instruct and prune his servant Joseph to be an even better leader, an even more godly man. And we're going to talk about that next week and learn more from that. But right now, let's remember, God is always, what? With With us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Let's never forget that promise. I don't care where you're at, what you're going through, he's always with us. And I think if we live with that reality, our lives are going to look way different. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone here today. I thank you for their lives. And God, I know that you love them more than they could ever imagine. And I pray that they might experience that love this week and they might bask in it. God, I pray that this week as we walk out of these doors, may we train our minds to always dwell on your presence, that you're with us. That you never leave us. And may we walk in obedience with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have an amazing week. And we will see you next Sunday.